When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to the Animation Addicts podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 264, The Fox and the Hound. Real tears every time. Welcome to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, the number one place to get your animation fix with animation addicts just like you. Each episode, we dive into the wonderful world of animation featuring Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, and everything in between. From hilarious discussions and movie reviews to interviews with industry insiders, this show's mission is to brighten your day through our love of animation. So hop on your nerdy couch, grab some snacks, and get ready to hang out with your animation besties because it's time to dive into to today's episode. Hey there, animation addicts. I'm your host, Chelsea Robson. And I'm Morgan Stradling. Morgan, I have mentioned multiple times about my dogs. I don't know if you've ever really mentioned some of your dogs growing up. So you want me to tell you about my dogs? <laughs> tell me about okay. your dog. Like what, yeah, what so, was your favorite dog growing up? Hmm. Well, I've had three dogs in my lifetime. Okay. The first one was Bella. So I really wanted a dog when I was about 10. And so I did all the things that a normal 10 year old does. And I go to the encyclopedia. I look in the dog section. I research everything about dogs. And I realize that there is something called the AKC, which the, is the American Kennel Club for purebred dogs. And so what I do is I find their address. I mail them that I'm interested in getting a dog and I would like to learn more. And they send me a giant informational packet. Seriously, you actually about- mailed them? Yes, I did. Oh, wow. And they, I remember getting this packet back. It had so much information about dogs and just tons of stuff, like way more than I would have expected. It was really cool. All the different breeds and just good, good times. Did they know and you so, were a 10 year old? No, but I'm sure they just have this stuff on hand, <laughs> right, you know, right. to, to give away. So I think I wanted a pug. I was really into a pug, really wanted one. Um, and then my mom came home. She, I remember her picking me up from school one day opening up the van door, sliding it. And there was this white dog there. And this ended up being my first dog named Bella. And Bella was a rescue and uh, Bella wasn't very friendly. And that was kind of a bummer because, you know, you want a dog to just be the greatest thing ever. And and she was good, but she was kind of, you know, she was a rescue. She was older. And so she lived, you know, maybe five more years and then died. Okay. Didn't necessarily love Bella, you know? And I think Maybe it's because I didn't pick Bella. Maybe that makes sense. Yeah. Or was involved. Like Bella just appeared. Um, but that happens for a lot of people. Right. <laughs> or it's just surprising with a dog, you know? 
the Lady and the Tramp situation. Oh, the bow and everything. <laughs> and so then when I was a senior, we got a little Yorkie poo named Louie. And Louie was so stinking cute. And Louie lived a long time. He did. Louis lived probably about 15 years. Wow. And between, yeah, so between, he was technically my brother Marshall's dog. I think it was the family dog, but we ended up, yeah, it just kind of ended up being his dog okay. for some reason. But that was Louie, and he was cute, and he was nice. And then before Louie died, you know, I got married, and I got a dog, and his name is Jimmy. I still have Jimmy to this day. Jimmy's kind of annoying because he barks all the time and he's he's just annoying, you know? <laughs> so I don't know if I could say I had a favorite dog. I, uh, Louie, I guess. I don't know. Jimmy? <laughs> I don't know. Do I have to say the current one that's alive and with me? I don't know. But uh, uh, if Louie, pa- if Jimmy passes, I, I don't know if there'll be another dog for a long while. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> I get it. My dreams of having the, this, this dog... From my 10-year-old AKC dreams. I don't know. They didn't really pan out the way I thought. (laughs) Well, someday you'll get your Doberman, and I'm sure it'll pan out after that. Mm -hmm. Well, today we are going to be talking about the fox and the hound. Chelsea has been delaying this and delaying this and delaying this. Ten years. He doesn't want to talk about it. Ten (laughs) years I've been pushing it off. (laughs) I have because this one always gets me. I am much more of a dog person than you are, I think. We always had dogs growing up and I've always been very attached to them. And so, yeah, this one's going to be rough, but we're going to get through it. When you're the best of friends, having so much fun together. You're not even aware. You're such a funny pair. You're the best of friends. All right. So before we get started, let's get some basic info about this film. The studio, Walt Disney Productions. The directors, there were three co-directors, Ted Berman, Richard Rich, and Art Stevens. Ted and Richard, they directed this film and The Black Cauldron. And then after that, you know, no mas. Uh, Richard ended up going and creating his own studio. And the next film he did after that was The Swan Princess. And we've talked at length about his career, The Swan Princess. So go check out our Swan Princess episodes. I think we've done uh, one, two, three, and the nine and ten. (laughs) And we will be doing the Christmas one in a few months. So stay tuned and be sure to subscribe for that. So we love Richard Rich over here. And then the last one, Art Stevens, he co-directed The Rescuers and this. He actually started as an animator in the 40s, had quite a career being an animator. Towards the end of his career, he did directing and he contributed a little bit to the Black Cauldron, but ended up retiring in 1983. So a little bit about those guys. Release date, July 10th, 1981. The budget was an estimated $12 million and the box office $63.465 million. So great, great job on this one. And the reason I wanted to do this film at this place in time is we just got done talking about the Disney Dark Ages. Excuse me, excuse me, the Bronze Age. Ah, yes, spin that. The, the spin proper away. term, yes. Or, you know, the early Renaissance, as <laughs> Disney likes to say in their official book about this. So I thought this was a really great film to talk about because this is really the pinnacle film that led to a lot of changes. In the middle of this film is where Don Bluth and Gary Goldman... John Pomeroy, they all ended up leaving. 
Um, they were working. There was a lot of, of heads budding during the production of this film. And, you know, they had enough and then they left and they started their own studio in their garage and, and went on to there. And I think, you know, that was a critical moment for the Disney studio. It's a hinge um, point. Pro- exactly. It's it's one of the most important, you know, if you're just going to highlight on a timeline, I think that one needs to be called out. And in that book we talked about last episode, they rightfully did. Like they called it out. They, you know, they didn't try to sugarcoat it. They may be a little bit, but it really affected the studio mm-hmm. because the studio at this point in time, they weren't these huge operations like they are now. There's only maybe, I think I read maybe 24 animators on the entire film. Mm. So still very small productions. Only two of the nine old men were left. This was the last film that they ended up working on. And then from this point on, there's no more nine old men. And kind of the new wave of animators come around and start working during this time. So I'm studio head. Yes, yes. For example, you know, a whole bunch of future directors and animators that worked on this film, John Lasseter, John Musker, Ron Clements, Glenn Keane, Tim Burton, Brad Bird, Henry Selleck, Chris Buck, Mike Gabriel, Mark Dindle. So a lot of people were kind of cutting their teeth on this film. Obviously, the departure of Don Bluth, you know, the old guard and the new guard, there was this turmoil, you know, uh, Wooly Reitherman, actually, you know, he was just this Disney great. He had a lot of issues with the production and and everyone during this film. So nonetheless, the film ended up becoming not, I wouldn't say like a classic, but it's pretty good. And it's a, it's a classic, maybe looking back. Yeah. You know, as much as I dislike watching this film, the only reason I dislike watching it is because it's so well done in the fact that like the timing in every aspect of it really does hit you so hard that it just, it just makes you, it makes me cry every, every single time. And so it's my lack of watching or my lack of replay value is not based on the fact that it was not a good movie. It's the fact that it's almost too good at doing, Mm -hmm. at hitting its goal and like really manipulating my emotions into tears. Mm -hmm. So I feel like Looking back on this one, it is a classic and watching it again this time, looking at it, I tried to do it in less of an emotional way and watching it more as a critical side to like actually see all of the puzzle pieces and why it gets you into certain modes. And so I think I was able to cry less this time, though I still cried. And yes, Mm -hmm. so it's just... They did. They knew how to how to ring you. <laughs> and right. So that's how that's that's where this movie stands for me is just it's a ringer. Ooh. I do have one more thing to say about the directors and the production, which is really important. So we talked about the the Don Bluth of it all. But also there, like we said, there was this old guard and new guard. And Wooly Reitherman was one of the old guard, um, along with Art Stevens as well. Uh-huh. Um, they were they were originally the directors. And then there was this kind of power struggle when Ron Miller, who was the CEO at the time, he was cutting certain things and and he was supporting Art Stevens, who was younger. And basically it ended where Miller told Wooly, you got to get give the reins to the, the junior personnel. And he was really against it and ultimately, you know, left and he, he didn't end up being the director huh. on this. And there was initially a scene that they wanted put in after they dropped Todd off into the forest where two, two crane characters would come by 
and they would sing this really silly song. It's called Scooby Dooby Doo, Let Your Body Turn to Goo. Oh, no. And it was oh, just no. crazy and all over the place and like dancing. And there was there was a footage shot where live action footage where someone was wearing a sweaty pink leotard. And the scene was so disliked that everyone felt like you can't do this. This is just such a distraction. And, and Stevens was so against it. He said, we can't let that sequence in the movie. It's totally out of place. And this is something that Wooly really wanted. Huh. And it says that this is from Wikipedia. It says, Reitherman later walked into Stevens' office, slumped into a chair and said, I don't know, Art, maybe this is a young man's medium because, you know, he really wanted that. Yeah. You know, so it, I'm, I'm glad that didn't end up working out because that just totally would have messed with the vibe of that scene yeah. and everything that had led up to that. So, yeah, another thing that ended up happening was in the in the book chief dies hmm. instead of getting instead of breaking his leg uh-huh. and they really everyone was so against this ron clemens they said no like chief has to die this is his quote chief has to die the picture doesn't work if he just breaks his leg right copper doesn't have the motivation to hate the fox and you know looking back i'm like wow that could have been so much more powerful yeah if chief had died because i do think of lady in the tramp and I think of Trusty, mm-hmm. where Trusty gets hit and it's horrible. And then he, you know, hobbles up on Christmas right. with his leg. And it's like, oh, yay, that's great. Nobody but ever dies. No, There's no stakes. No one ever dies. And they just they just take that away from you. They take the like going all the way mm-hmm. of having it just be really sad. I mean, they so, killed the mom. So I, <laughs> I guess they're like. Which I teared up this time uh-huh. when that happened. I just blame ever since I had kids, I'm just a lot more emotional. Yeah. <laughs> and so when that happened, I was just really sad for poor old Todd. <laughs> oh. Well, I didn't cry at that point, but I, I 100% cried when Widow Tweed comes up and like just something in her voice is so sincere and it reaches for this fox. And I was just like, oh no, <laughs> like, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. it starts. Oh no. The Widow Tweed is played by Jeanette Nolan. And from that very first moment to her heartbreaking monologue at the end, you know, it's yeah. just you believe every moment and you identify with this, this voice and this woman and just so really good. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going back to Wooly. It's just funny because I always think of our very first interview with Don Bluth. And anytime he talked about Wooly, he's just like, and Wooly is just Wooly. Like, obviously still has some very... <laughs> Strong opinions. Unresolved <laughs> feelings. Right. <laughs> On uh, Wooly's uh, story development style. Yeah. Specifically, I remember him pointing out his inability to write love scenes. <laughs> and I just thought that was funny. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think of Wooly as kind of a very interesting guy. Because if he's saying maybe this is a young man's thing. And he's really looking more into the com- maybe the time of the fifties where it, everything was just trying to be a little bit more happy, go lucky. And like, now you're into the eighties and the eighties were its own thing. Like, have you watched stranger things? I'm actually watching season two. We started watching season one when I was pregnant with my first. And then I went on a vacation with my mom and sister and Jared ended up watching the rest of the show. And that got me so mad that I (laughs) said, I'm not watching this anymore. And then we just never, Picked it back up, but we recently started rewatching it. So I'm only on season two. Okay. I hadn't watched any of them up until like last week. And then I went on a vacation to Florida and my cousin was like, 
um, we're going to watch this because it's sad that you haven't seen it. I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we ended up watching like, all four seasons. But uh, so now I have to wait for number five. But anyway, I mean, the fact that like you look at a, a show like Stranger Things, and I think it really does a good job of showing not only the the mentality of the individuals and like the the zeitgeist of the like everything that's in the air, all the things that people are talking about during that time frame, but also like the men- the the opinions of the standard American at the time. Like it was just it's very very well done in that way. But it's like you it's a very different time. And I wasn't really aware of the 80s cuz I was born in the later part. And so going back and seeing this era that my siblings all remember is just very interesting to me because you look at it so this is 1981 you have like the, some of the weirdest shows coming out at this point in time <laughs> like uh-huh. the fact that uh, never ending story was going to be a thing and all of these uh, like weird sh- movies just showed that it was a, <laughs> it was not the 50s right i guess that's right. my point my point is, Wooly came out of the fifties, where he's you know bringing up like dancing cartoons, and you know you have the the Mickey Mouse dancing, doing the jig, and that's the extent of their story writing prowess, I guess. Not there, that's not true because there's a lot of really great movies that come out of that time. But as far as cartoon wise, the average cartoon is not dealing with this much death and destruction and, and killing of all your pets. So I can see how it would be. Uh, difficult for him moving into this time and so i I don't know i appreciate him for like because there's some movies that i mean he did he did robin hood so you can't hate the guy (laughs) like you have to have great thoughts about it because like if you can pull robin hood off you know what you're a-okay in my book i agree with the fact that he can't write love scenes because you know love not the greatest song but (laughs) once again hinge point in history not just in animation but just all over entertainment was just really pushing boundaries and really trying to explore just what normal was at the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking of, what is that movie? Willow? (laughs) Willow! (laughs) I only just watched that like a month ago. (laughs) I don't think I've ever seen it, but it's just kind of one of those like crazy 80s. Yeah. 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 So let's talk about this movie. So very interesting from the very beginning. I thought it was very ominous, the yeah. very quiet opening with no music. Uh-huh. It's, you know, at this point, they're still doing the opening credits thing, and it's just quiet. There's nothing happening yet. And then there's forest sounds. And then there's this beating drum. This was the last time they did an opening credits. Oh. Kind of phasing those out. See, again, it was the 80s. They were a time of change. Uh-huh. <laughs> Then we go to the dramatic music as the mom fox runs away. And I really like this intro. I think it very quickly establishes the plot, establishes the conflict, what's going on, our main character. And we feel very sad for this character. You know, no one likes an orphan. Right. Man, speaking of orphans, I mean, and, and the Bronze Age, I mean, we have another orphan film coming up in a few movies after this right. with Oliver and Company. I mean, even the Black Cauldron didn't really have like a parent, yeah. <laughs> you know, man. Well, I mean, the 80s were the stereotypical, the gener- Gen Z, like the generation that raised themselves. Yeah, right? for sure. <laughs> you know, the parents were always gone. They were working. And, and, you know, then people say, you know, the millennial generation, it's because the Gen Z, well, not the Gen Z, but that 
you know, the generation before they said, you know, we don't want that to happen to us. And so they overparented almost. Right. And so created the other side of the coin. Right. But, you know, so we're introduced to Todd, our main characters. We're introduced to uh, Big Mama, who I love. I love Big Mama. And and the voice actress is amazing. Yeah, she is Pearl Bailey. And she was a singer in vaudeville for many years. And then she also starred in the film St. Louis Blues opposite Nat King Cole, which was actually the biography of W.C. Handy. Um, her greatest theater role was in the Broadway musical Hello, Dolly, and she won a special Tony Award for her performance as the replacement lead in Hello, Dolly, which I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. She also played Maria in a, the film version of Porgy and Bess and was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by President Ronald Reagan. Nice. Excellent. She's I mean, she's just got a lot of really cool things. I just love her. I love her character. She has a deep voice, uh-huh. but it's very soothing and motherly. I, I, she did a great job being Big Mama, and yeah. she's just this big old owl. Every time I see her fly, I just get such such a kick out of it. Like, I don't know. I know that there are big owls, but it seems like a lot of time when they draw these big like owls, I think in um, Secret of Nim, aren't there some big yeah. owls? The, the and great then owl. Rock-a-doodle. <laughs> yeah, they're like huge. <laughs> but she's like a like a big she's the <laughs> owl she's the welcoming owl as opposed to all the other ones are like really creepy <laughs> yes <laughs> well we'll have to do our ranking of uh, animated owls at one point in time oh yeah that's big funny. mama will make the list she for will, sure for sure <laughs> you know but she's the first one there to really help todd realize like hey it's okay we'll figure this out and then we have boomer and dinky who are just kind of like the side characters there for comedic effect right and and then we get this effect they create the scene where the willow willow <laughs> widow is able to encounter Todd. And then, you know, she takes him under her wing. I love just everybody was really looking out for the guy. And it just, oh, it makes me really sad that the mother fox didn't just like hide in widow Tweed's barn. Like that would have just made it better. Like just. Yeah. But we wouldn't have gotten a story. So there you go. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because, you know, these are farmers or they live. In the country, I guess. Yeah. And it's, I like that both of the main human characters are these old crotchety sort of characters. I mean, yeah. not Willow Tweed. Why keep, Willow, whatever. If I call Widow. it Willow, excuse me. <laughs> Widow Tweed. Um, and Amos Slade. They, he's just this crotchety old guy living his life and their neighbors. And they, they don't seem to really love each other, but it's like, well, you know, you can't choose your neighbors sometimes, but they just deal with it. Right. Um, and so there's the conflict between them, which is great. And I mean, she seems like she would be fine to live with. It seems more of a him issue. Well, I think it's like both of them are just in there. Yeah. She's definitely more of the, I'm, I'm here to help as seen in the end, but, uh, he is definitely the crotchety old man <laughs> that get off my mm-hmm, lawn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I like at the very end, we get to see them together, uh, working together, if you will, you know, she's helping him out and they've kind of patched up their differences in a way, but they didn't end up romantically together. I think that was a good call. I, I didn't need to, I always assumed I would they problem. would as a kid, you did as a kid. I always just assumed, well, now they're going to get together. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I had no problem against it, but it was just it. I think she's better it felt, than that. It felt complete the way that it was. <laughs> yeah. You know, we didn't need their love story. Right. <laughs> well, and then just the patching up in general. And I think that the 
That was one of the biggest themes of this whole thing was that anger. Like you were talking about how it would have been a better story had Chief died just because the anger animosity would have been that much more to get over for both sides. Mm -hmm. And if who had died, if Chief had died. Oh, I thought you said her. No, no, no. I was like, oh, wait, wait, wait. Where was she? Where was she dying? <laughs> no, no. How did this happen? If Chief had died, that moment for Copper to come and step in front and then, man, they took a long time with Amos Slade changing his mind. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that that was probably the, one of the best choices in timing wise, because you really felt it. But I think it would have been even more so of a real, real thing had Chief died. Yeah. It that's a huge miss. Mm -hmm. Like, as soon as I read that, I was like, well, of course, like he should have died. Oh, it it, sh it should the, have happened. He fell from the top of a, like, <laughs> a train track a train bridge. Track bridge. Like, that's like, there's no living that <laughs> living through that. Right. Yeah, exactly. So it seems, you know, what's crazy is that that was supposed to happen all along. They had to go back in and animate his eyes fluttering open at the, you know, in that water Oh, at the bottom. So he was supposed to die. And then they had to go in later and add in the scene of him coming into the house, you know, with his leg. And that was one of the nine old men who ended up animating that. Mm -hmm. um, so that was just to let him know, like, hey, he's OK. But after that, we don't see him. Mm -hmm. If you notice, we um, see him so at the quick, very end. Very, very, very. end. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, they already had a lot of this established. And so they didn't need to. It escalates quickly. So let's talk about it. So there's. Copper, there's Todd. Mm -hmm. And from the very beginning with Amos Slade, he is not interested in the fox. He thinks that the fox uh, did him dirty by going into his the hen house chicken coop. Yeah. Which is this thing that foxes do. So you yes, can't blame yes. him. And, and he he 100 percent had was in the right believing that was the case. He saw it with his own eyes. Right. How was he supposed to believe that, hey, your your pet fox isn't going to eat it? I saw him do it. Yeah. And from that moment on, it's it's done. It's I if this thing comes around again, I'm killing it. And he really goes on a quest to kill Todd and to, to end him forever. Yeah, because for him as a hunter, you've disassociated yourself with the feelings of these critters. And right. so he goes, this is what he's doing. He needs to get food for food for himself also pelts for whatever else like he, it's his business and so you in order to really live in that frame of mind like you can't be thinking this animal has a soul and right yeah i mean you can and you should but it's a hard line to to walk it's like the caterpillar like storyline was cute and fun but at the same time it's hard because you're giving the personality to prey. Therefore, you never want birds to eat. <laughs> so you're wanting the birds to die because this is part of their actual diet. But you also don't want the caterpillar to die. Like, it's just, a, it creates a lot of conflicting feelings as a child. I don't know. When he turned into a butterfly, then they were like, wow, look, is that you? I was like, you can still eat him. I know. Grab him. <laughs> Grab him. Tip. <laughs> Do they eat them, though? I don't know. Yes, of course. Okay. Yeah. I, it's just funny because they there's this constant, ah, oh, you know, they, they keep missing them, the little caterpillar storyline. And it just makes it seem like they never eat. Right. Which, of course, they eat other stuff. But this is the one that got away yeah. continually. I, I Even as a child, I remember that scene not loving, just feeling like it was kind of fluff compared to the real thing. 
Yeah, but I, I feel like it does help a little bit. I don't know. It's a hard balance when you're showing this some like something to kids. You don't want them to just fully. Here's reality, kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you want a little it, bit of like know, uh, release. It is good because it does break it up. Mm-hmm. And it. What else could you add for? The Todd storyline. I mean, yeah. I guess you could add more scenes of them playing, you know, getting to know each other, really building that friendship. Um, because when you actually think about it, they just play a few times. Then Hopper ends up getting leashed. Yeah. You know, and then they go away for the winter. That, that's the extent of their friendship. And then they sing the song during that first time that they're playing, like when you're the best of friends. Right. I'm like, I don't know. It's the first time they ever hung out together. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like when you're but- when you're young. You go up to people and you're like, hey, you want to be my friend? Okay. It's true. Like, friendship is not as complicated as we make it out to be nowadays. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is true. So, I, I mean, there's a, there's a simpleness, there's a purity in that relationship. And, you know, I'm looking through this and feeling like, okay, is there, are they trying to push certain themes? Like, is this like a, an, a racism theme? Is this a just you know, we're different and therefore we can't be friends theme. But it's so weird because it's like, I I have a hard time really laying the racism thing down there because like, this is really predator versus prey. Like Mm -hmm. my dog chases rabbits and there's nothing you can do to stop that. She will go after these rabbits. It's in her. She's a German short haired pointer. So she is a hunting breed. And like, I can't stop her. (laughs) Like this is in her. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to really like throw the racism is something you learn as you grow up versus something that's in you type thing, because like that doesn't really translate as cleanly in this, but I don't know. It probably is one of those themes that they're trying to throw in there or even just classism. I don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, what's interesting is that there's a scene that I totally remember. And as I was just doing different research for this film, you know, this Reddit post came up. And there's the scene where when they're talking about they're talking to Todd about like the realities of the world. And then they go into this shed and it has all of these pelts. Uh-huh. And he says, oh, no, that's horrible. And I remember that scene. Um, and on this Reddit post, we'll include it in the show notes. People are saying like, oh, is this the Mandela effect? We just watched it. It wasn't there. And that's not the Mandela effect. Um, the Mandela effect is when you remember things differently like collectively people remember things differently than they actually were kind of i think it was because but this this is just disney chose to cut this scene out in the disney plus version i don't think they did because i i saw that you wrote this and i was like what no and so i i went on a search and i found my trusty old vhs And I was like, I need to see if this scene is still there because I thought I remembered it differently. I thought I remembered it more emphasis on maybe the traps or like, like shock value. Um, But I looked at the VHS and it's exactly the same as what's on Disney Plus. So when you were watching it on Disney Plus, you saw that scene? Yes. Okay. I can't remember whether I did or not. So, okay. So you have confirmed that that scene is there. So what are people talking about? I think it's like, you know, in maybe, maybe they watched it on TV and they edited for time. Maybe. Yeah. But there's a, you know, in this, Little Mermaid. This person said I watched it on Disney plus and yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll share the whole post, but whoever this was two years ago, watched it on Disney plus and it was not there. Huh? Because 
You know, in the scene in Little Mermaid where the crab sees all of the crabs being like, mm-hmm, and you, mm-hmm. you just, you see the <gasps> chop thing and yeah, you hear yeah, yeah. like you have the dun, 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 the musical interlude. Yeah. So I kind of like feel like I might have created that kind of a scene in this moment as a kid. <laughs> and I think if it is the Mandela effect, then that I can totally see that being a thing because I looking as I watched it, it felt short and not as impactful as it was as a child to Uh me and so i was like oh no they totally did what is up with that and so i went and i grabbed the vhs looked at it it's the exact same thing so i don't think that that is it side note as i'm pulling out the vhs marissa decides to get very confused she's like why why are you watching this i thought you don't like this movie because it makes you sad (laughs) and i'm like you're right miss i don't but that's thanks for calling me like, out. <laughs> but it's like it's a known thing in this household. <laughs> but yeah, I I think that as a child, I put more emphasis on this moment than what was actually there because it it was really impactful as a child. Yeah, definitely. Oh yeah. Okay. 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 Here it is. So I'm just pulling it up on Disney Plus. Around 31 minutes, 44 seconds. And this is after Todd leaves uh-huh. or after Copper leaves for the winter. He's talking to Big Mama. He's all sad about it. And then they go and there are all the pelts. And he says, oh, no, that's horrible. OK, so fake news. I don't know what those people are, are smoking, but it's there. So I'm sorry I just wasted five minutes talking <laughs> about this. But it's interesting nonetheless. I think sometimes we go back and we remember certain things certain ways. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I'm glad it's there because I really don't appreciate that sort of, you know, shenanigans. The, the thing is, the fact that I believed that Disney would have done this is a problem. <laughs> uh, exactly, exactly. Like, I wouldn't put it past them at all to go in and edit out and, and recut their entire filmography if they, gave, mm-hmm. if they had the choice or the chance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's, I don't like it. Just don't like it. So you and Cullen, huh? I don't like it. I don't like it. I feel like by now I can recognize every single piece of Disney dark dog barking stock footage oh, that they have yes. because they have it all. They probably recorded a lot of it for 100, 101 Dalmatians. And I feel like I can just I recognize it. I'm like, oh, yep, that's that stock footage that they used in this, this and this. Oh, there's another one. There's another one. Yeah, there's sound bank. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah we got a dog somewhere right there's a couple times where at the very end where copper is chasing todd and you hear copper's bark but it's definitely not copper's bark like it's mm-hmm. like the standard bark that we heard earlier mm-hmm. from chief or something and i'm like <laughs> dogs have different barks so i i noticed these things <laughs> yep so in the scene where widow tweed is initially milking the cow and you know todd chases the the chicken goes crazy and then it ends up spilling all the milk and she gets mad and she kind of rolls her sleeves up and she puts them on her her hips i could swear that that is reused animation of medusa from the rescuers i have to go back but i it just felt very was it from like i'd seen i'd seen that pose before from rescuers or from sword in the stone Uh, i would medusa's in rescuers i know but from from sword in the stone i feel like there was some movements that were very similar to Mad Madam Mim. Yeah. Yeah. And it's actually interesting. I think this scene was one of the scenes that Don Bluth 
actually animated. Um, there were a few scenes that he did that still are in the movie, uh, he and his crew, and then they ask not to get credit in the movie. So they don't have any animator credits at all, uh-huh. even though their work is still in there. Mm-hmm. But I guess we'll have to go back and research to see if that's um, a little bit of reused animation. Because by this point, they really weren't doing a lot of that still. Like, they, that was the 70s thing. Yeah. But I wouldn't hold it past them if they did it again. Yeah. <laughs> And I always thought it was so cool that the dogs lived in barrels. <laughs> I don't know why, but I just thought it was the best thing ever when I was little. <laughs> I think I might have thought like, oh, I need a big barrel because we had a whole bunch of those barrels at the ranch. <laughs> yeah. They're giant uh, whiskey barrels. They're huge. And I always thought, mm-hmm. oh, I need one of those. <laughs> but yep. then I thought, I don't think my dog would like it, actually, because it's not that Well, those dogs have no choice. Right. <laughs> you know, it's either that or the rain. So, OK, I'll, I'll hang out in my barrel. Right. <laughs> So let's talk about the friendship of Todd and Copper. Okay. Copper, you know, he comes around. He's a new little puppy. Amos knows that Chief is getting old. Yes. And so he's bringing on a new pup. I'm surprised he only has one dog, to be honest, considering what he does. But he brings on the new pup and Chief is not happy about it. But then Chief, then Copper is actually kind of cute. He's snuggling into him and, you know, fine, we'll, we'll, I'll deal. Deal with each other. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, they get older and they seem to be fine. But yeah, Copper doesn't know the ways of the world. And I'm surprised even as a puppy that he doesn't have a leash on him. Oh, yeah. Puppies that, that, that for seems sure. Like so, that seems like so crazy. Like, no, no, no. Like, the, it would have been the opposite. Like, Chief probably knows not to run away. Yeah. He would be fine. He'd be a good protector. Like, why does he have to be locked up? It's not like, yeah, I think Chief would be okay. But Copper absolutely should have been leashed from oh, the get-go. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that doesn't allow him to escape multiple times and then get in trouble. And then there's the punishment. And there's a story and, that now we don't get. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it works out. It works in the end, but it's just not not too realistic. No, yeah. I, I mean, it is really funny when you look at the difference between an old dog and a young dog. Like, old dogs generally, they have a lot of patience for young dogs. And... <laughs> Yeah. They can just tell that this is a young dog that doesn't know anything. And so they they just have an like an overabundance of patience until they snap. And this is Montana. <laughs> I, I had to go out of town not too long ago. And my neighbors are so nice. And they let her come over and they'll watch her. They also have another dog. And this dog is about six months old or so. And she, her name is Shiloh. And Shiloh is the tall, gangly puppy. And is so she's big, but she's also just a gangly puppy and is all about like wanting to lick Montana's face. And Montana's mm-hmm. not about that life. Like she's she's old, she's got gray all over her face, and she's like, no. And she's just at first she's okay, like with the dog and as a general thing. But then the moment she gets too close, she's like, no, I'm going to teach you. This is not how we do things. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. it's funny to see how. They really did. The animators saw these conflicting uh, just personalities in general. Like Chief has his own personality and so does Todd. But, you know, the puppy versus the old dog is fun to kind of see. I feel like the friendship between Rod, I was going to say Rod and Rod and Todd. (laughs) 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 Between Copper and Todd. It is that very simple, pure friendship. 
And yeah. you have Big Mama singing her You're the Best of Friends thing. It makes the watcher really look back on their own innocent and pure mm-hmm. days, you know, as a child or even as they look at other children around. And you do kind of wish for that phase again, mm-hmm. because oh yeah, if we could all, can't we all just get along? You know, that's... Yeah. So we have to be so picky or selective. Yeah. In who who we choose to be a friend. Right. Or who we let into our group. Right. Right. Yeah. And I remember talking about this when we talked about Dumbo, I believe. So when Marissa was younger and when my mom was putting her into different classes, being that she has special needs, they the teachers would all say, you know, okay, she will do great being integrated with normal classes up until about third grade. And that's about the time when you turn like nine or ten. And right yeah. about there is where kids just lose that innocence. And it's just like, oh, so sad. It's when you get to the point where you're starting to look at people, you're you're comparing and you're trying uh-huh. to fit in and you're yeah, you're sizing others up and you're trying to create a power dynamic. And that's really how you know the animal world works as well. It's easy to personify that in this relationship between a fox and a hound at this age. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that is true. I don't like some of those aspects of growing up. It's sad. It is. And, you know, the innocence is lost and they start focusing on other things that don't matter in the long run. Anymore. Yeah, they really don't. And it, you have to get through that and to be an adult to look mm-hmm, back and be mm-hmm. like, oh, man. <laughs> right. So if, if you are a kid, remember this discussion. <laughs> so, you know, then they grow up. Top Copper comes back and he's a big strapping lad. You know, he's an adult now. And then same thing with Todd. He's an adult. And one thing I don't love about Todd when he's an adult is occasionally he, they show him with whiskers. Sometimes <laughs> they do this, sometimes they don't. And when he has whiskers, he has these like they're scraggly whiskers and it makes him look like he has a scraggly adolescent mustache. Oh, and it's gross. gross. Yes. <laughs> I don't like it. I'm like, can we just, can we just ditch the whiskers? They just don't work for me. And they just make him seem even more pathetic than he is. Because when he eventually goes into the wild, he is really pathetic. Yeah. And and he's a sad, sad creature. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I don't understand how the Widow Tweed just thought it was okay to just dump your domesticated fox into the wild. Like, I just... Oi. It had been a while because we see in the sequence, goodbye may seem like forever. Right before that happens, you know, she's putting on her hat in her mirror and she sees Todd's one year birthday Aww. photo. I'm like, oh, no. You know, it's he is just all human in yeah. a way. You know, he's very much domesticated like a dog or a cat. And then she's like, OK, well, this isn't working out. So I got to do what I got to do. And I guess he'll figure it out. You know, foxes are smart, but I don't know how much on his own he was hunting. Yeah, and, he, I don't think you know, he was hunting he probably at all. Had, he probably had a little bowl of food. Right. And that was great for him. Okay. You show this, the, he's getting a mate already in Vixie. But like, if you're looking at reality, the women are going to look for the one that's going to be a little bit more of a protector. And in this case, she's going to oh, be the yeah. one that has to do all the things. Like, she's the one that has to yes, get the yes. fish. She's the one that has to do everything. So it's like, it's not very balanced. <laughs> and I just realistic to the animal world and what. If there were another fox around, yes. though, if there were another male fox around, he'd be dead. Like, let's just be honest. He'd be dead. Oh, yeah. Oh, sad. <laughs> like, that would have been an interesting thing if there was some sort of competition for him. Yeah, he would. Or he really has to have really to... prove himself. 
change completely his entire personality. Yeah. You know, he was so much better as a, a little fox. I just didn't really love much about him as an old fox, uh, you know, an adult fox. Was it his voice? I didn't love his voice. Mickey yeah, Rooney. His voice was I not like great. Mickey Rooney, but I just don't feel like it, <laughs> it really personified a, I don't know, maybe, maybe they were trying to lean into the fact that he's kind of a weaker, like a weaker animal in this case. Yeah. Well, I do like Copper. I like Copper as a youth. I like Copper as an adult. Yeah, I do his too. His character is good. And his was the one that really, it, it's interesting, those three main characters, the different arcs that they go on, but his is the the one where he ultimately has to forgive. Mm-hmm. It would have been so much better if if Chief had just died, because yeah. then it's even more stakes. Yeah. Um, and, and At then, this point, you, know, you just think they're being mean. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You really think Amos just is a complete villain, even though you do see that there is reason behind it, but it would have justified him a lot more. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it would justify, but it would have made you understand him. You would made you pity him more. The fact that he just lost his dog and he's doing all of this through just pure grief. Instead, it's like, your dog's fine. He'll be fine. You know, but he's just, no, I'm going to go after vengefully this fox. And I just, I would have, it would have made Amos much more of a character that I could pity instead of just think you're a villain. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk about the scene. Uh, Goodbye may seem like forever. Everybody knows what you're talking about when you talk about Fox and the Hound. You talk about this scene. It hits all the beats. Yes. The monologue, the song in the background, the faces that they make to each other. Uh, it, Yeah, the reality of what's happening. It's so, so sad. Well, and you understand why she wants to do it. She really does have his best interest at heart. I don't know if I would have chosen that interest. I would have done other things. I don't think this fox would have done well on his own. But here we are. He, oh gosh, it's just, it's so much. And then the moment where she just starts talking and I'm just like, oh no, hold it in, hold it in. But then the moment she calls out, she's like, I needed you too. And it's just like, oh, no, in this right now, I am feeling this. Oh, gosh. That and then that very last hug. She does a one hug, lets him go, and then does one more hug again. And that last hug, I just real tears every time. Mm-hmm. And just like, oh, gosh, this poor woman all alone. She's just got Annabelle the cow. And that's about it. Yeah. And because this guy is trigger happy, now she's got to do something for this fox. Oh, gosh. I feel it. I feel it right now. What's a worse scene? This scene or when Mufasa dies? Uh, For me, this scene, (laughs) because I'm never going to be a a lion. (laughs) You know, it's just it's just far (laughs) enough. You're going to be a fox? (laughs) No, but it's just far enough away from my reality that I don't feel it as much. Both are pretty, pretty up there as far as sad Disney moments. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> this yeah the, both of those are like very equally yoked <laughs> and like mm-hmm. tear you apart kind of thing yeah so when todd is in the forest like i said i don't really like adult todd and good call out with his voice the voice doesn't help the design with the scraggly mustache doesn't help but man twitter painted todd is a real dupe. <laughs> he's just dumb <laughs> <laughs> i thought that was funny though like 
This is the first time he's ever seen a girl. <laughs> like, yes. Like what? Well, I love Big Mama. She is so cute, and she comes in just to kind of check up on him. Uh-huh. But then she sees Vixie, and she says, "Oh, here's an opportunity here." Although she's really not doing Vixie a, a great service. She's really not. <laughs> no, if she, it, you can tell where her loyalty lies, where she's clearly more um, looking out for Todd's best interest uh, yeah. than Vixie's. Right. But you know, hey, it all works out in the end, and they become friends. Oh, a little more than friends. <laughs> they spend the night together. <laughs> Things move fast in the forest. In the in the animal kingdom. Yes, indeed. <laughs> they go on their marathon <laughs> date, and that's good. They're good for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, very quickly they wake up and then you know the action starts. And I really like this. I think after this moment it, things get real and from it's just kind of like go, 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 go. Yeah. You know, running away and copper getting involved and the hunter. And the, the ultimate resolution that happened. So I did like the pacing of the film. I thought it actually flowed pretty well. I did too. And it, it, I didn't feel like, okay, like let's wrap it up. They, this final act does a great job of being intense and it, it comes at the right time and it's not too long and we get the job done. Yeah. Now that I'm putting the whole chief dead or alive possibility in my in my head, I really do think that the fact that Amos becomes so quick to the trigger, it it leads you like, wow, dude, settle down. But mm-hmm. it does work with the with the timing. And then the random bear that comes out, which, by the way, that bear is a core memory for me. And I don't <laughs> know exactly why, but it, it's probably because I've seen all of these you know, behind the scenes things. And I, I remember the one where Glenn Keane talks about how he spent months at the zoo watching bears for this. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so I always remembered, ah, Glenn Keane did that. Mm-hmm. You know, you get the bear that comes in and it really changes it. And you have the moment where Todd decides against his instincts of just run away is to go back and help his friend. I mean, lessons that you learn. I, I, you don't really get a lot of morals in stories today. <laughs> so I like that there is this moral, but it's not like super preachy. It's just kind of what they did and uh-huh. how the moral of, even though the natural inclination is to run away and save yourself, this one is to to go back on these old bonds, even though somebody has done you wrong or is, isn't your friend anymore to just mm-hmm. do the right thing and helping them out. And because of that little bit of olive branch, and it's more than an olive branch. I mean, the guy almost dies uh, in the act of of trying to save you. But because of that, it it leads Copper to feel like I can forgive what just happened. And because Copper can forgive, then Amos can also forgive. So it's just there's a lot that goes in. Like it's a super deep moment, and the time that they spend on Amos to go from being so I'm going to kill this fox, even though I, this is my chance to you're right. Let's just go home. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They spread that out. And I think that was just really well done. No, it is. I love the ending of this. And I loved just the growth that Amos goes through in that moment. And he changes and he changes for the better and he moves on and it's okay. Yeah. I thought it was really great. Yeah. And then they have this whole moment of everyone's all better now. Like Widow Tweed is now helping Amos and Amos is letting her. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. you have Chief in the bucket saying, oh, he's, you know, 
as much as I now knowing that there could have you could have killed off Chief, <laughs> I I like that little moment of him going back and being like, oh, making all that fuss about a little old hurt leg, and then Copper being yeah. like, oh, okay, well, whatever. I mean, that was a good playoff. If they're gonna keep <laughs> Chief in the in it, I'm glad that he has a he has a payoff at the end, and then it like goes out a little bit more, and then you see Todd and Vixie watching them from afar. Mm-hmm. But man, that last line, that last throwback of their voices together. Oh, gosh. And I was just I'm out of tears at this point. <laughs> yeah, you're my friend, too, Todd. Oh, yeah. It, one of the things I like about this, it shows that friendships don't necessarily like they can be forever, but they may not work out forever. Yeah. You know, because of life situations that you draw, grow apart. Or you're forced apart. You can still be friends and you can still cherish the friendship and the memories. Yeah. I look back on some friendships that I've had and just be like, you know, it that was for a time. And I'm really grateful for that time. Most of them, there wasn't like a reason for this like sever. You know, it's just time like our our paths diverged. <laughs> but it's like you're all you can always look back and, and say, you know, I'm grateful for that time. Like you really did help me during that phase. And there's a lot of people like that, that our paths cross. And I think that they're all for reasons. They change each one of us. So Mm -hmm. that's the fox and the hound for you. Oh, it's good. It's surprisingly good. I remember, you know, kind of leading up to this, like, oh, I got to watch Fox and the Hound. And as soon as it started, I just I was pretty mesmerized. Now, was this the greatest film ever? No, this is definitely a Bronze Age film for sure. But I'd say it's the better of them. Yeah, it's a, a, it is up on the higher side. And yeah. even though I gave it a really low ranking on my on my tier ranking, like having now gone back and rewatching it, rewatched mm-hmm. it, I'm like, okay, I can I can step back and from my my childhood traumas <laughs> of of going through. We went through a lot of dogs, and so I had a lot of these <laughs> like losing my dog moments. So uh-huh. that's probably yeah. That's the other thing of like I'm. I have to get over that. But the lot in the crafting of this narrative was just so well done. So what would you rate this film? I'm going to give it four stars. Nice. As I mentioned at the very beginning, my critical review doesn't necessarily have to equal the amount of replay value something has. And totally. So this is critically, this is a really good film. I think I'm going to give it four stars as well. I watched it. I enjoyed it. I thought just... The characters were great. They all had different payoffs and, and different growth towards the end. It all kind of culminated in that final scene with all of them together. And it was really enjoyable. It was pretty quick, which I enjoyed I, that it wasn't just this long, drawn out thing. It was on the shorter side, I guess, or maybe just kind of average. And characters were great. The music was good. Animation was was fine. You know, it had a lot of really great animation for the time and backgrounds was beautiful. Yeah. So all in all, four stars. Nice. I want to give a quick shout out to the Fox and the Hound 2. <laughs> as far as sequels go, direct a video. It's really fun. It's got a lot of fun bluegrass music and Reba. So you have, it's, a, it's a good pairing up there. And then it's not at all sad. So it's just mm-hmm. a happy kind of forgiveness kind of thing. But it, it's so Copper thinks that he's not good at anything. And then he meets Reba, a.k.a. Dixie. And she's a singing hound, part of a singing hound (laughs) 
choir called the Singing Strays, and they have a goal to get to the Grand Old Opry. Dixie is a bit of a diva, and so she's like, nah, I can't take this anymore, and she goes to her trailer, and then you have Cash and Wayland. All of these are country music stars. Cash is another dog, and so he sees Copper and says, ah, oh, you, you got you got some lungs on you, come join us. And so he joins in and now Dixie wants back her spot back and let the intrigue commence. But there's so many like Southern phrases. It just made my heart so happy. (laughs) And when I say that, I mean like we got more ground to cover than the Pony Express or, oh, he couldn't catch a cold in winter or one of my favorites. (laughs) You're nervous as a flea on dip day. (laughs) And if that ain't right, grits ain't groceries. <laughs> just like, this is just, this is not even half of them. Like there are so many of these little phrases that they peppered in there that just made it so funny through the whole thing. So I was, I was a fan and it was a good, it was a good respite from the sadness of the first one to just go to this one. And it's just pure fun. So shout out good old Fox the Hound too. Nice. I never would have Thought that'd be worth my while, but... <laughs> it's cute. Now I know. There you go. <laughs> All right. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Animation Addicts podcast. You can let us know your thoughts about this film at rotoscopers.com slash 264. And our next episode, we are going to be diving in back into the Disney ages. We're going to be talking about the Renaissance <laughs> age. So get ready. That one is going to be fun, fun, fun. So until next time, we, we are the Rotoscopers. rotoscopers. their cutting their chops is that the phrase of uh, no that's not that's not the phrase yeah <laughs> let's see idiom cutting their teeth i think it's cutting their teeth yeah it's cutting their <laughs> cutting teeth their but there's another one that's it's sharpening their their chops maybe let's see uh lick one's chops oh licking <laughs> yeah. one's chops bust bust one's chops yeah busting your chops oh, licking to, your chops to harass no, no, to harass by the forcible exertion of one's authority to make a nuance of oneself. I don't think that's no. it. Okay, going back. <laughs> so a lot of people. You've been listening to the Animation Addicts podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe and be sure to leave us a five-star review. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to help spread the word, be sure to share the podcast with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag us at Rotoscopers on Instagram and use the hashtag Animation Addicts. For all the links and full show notes for this episode, go to rotoscopers.com slash podcast. Now, if you still can't get enough for your animation fix, be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube and visit rotoscopers.com for more animation news, reviews, and interviews. Thanks for listening.